Snatter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Nimmer Snatter, just talking to teachers. Hello and welcome to this week's Nailers Natter in association with the Teacher Development Trust and now proudly sponsored by John Cat Educational. So we have a stripped back lean podcast this week. So there is no Teacher Development Trust section or the usual podcast pedagogy section with its meanderings into music, film and books. They will return next week. So it's just stripped back to feature me and the wonderful Omar Akbar in conversation. And the reason for this stripped back podcast is that I'm recording especially early in the week this week because I have just been recording a couple of epic podcasts. So as I'm speaking to you now, I have literally just got off the phone to Daisy Christodoulou and we've been talking about her new book, Teachers vs. Tech, The Case for an Ed Tech Revolution. And it's an absolute cracker. So Daisy, as you can imagine, was fantastic about all the details of that book. So look forward to that one coming up soon. And also, I need some time in the schedule to speak to our first returning guest, which is Tom Sherrington, who will be talking to us tomorrow about the Teacher's Walkthrough book um, that's coming out just in time. The launch will be at Research Ed Blackpool. And also, in this even busier than normal week, I'll be speaking at Research Ed Birmingham this weekend, so I need to make sure that I'm prepared for that as well. So just literally the interview, but what a great interview it is with Omar. So if you get settled in and ready for another natter, where I will be talking to teachers. Nailers natter, just talking to teachers. Teacher Development Trust Section, learning from the team at TDT on best practice CPD with research. Nailers just talking to teachers. Okay, so hello Omar and welcome to the podcast. How are you Phil? You alright? Yes, uh, good thank you and we're recording this and it might seem like a distant memory by the time this goes to air but this is the day of Storm Kira so um, we're just discussing off air. We've had interesting days in Blackpool and uh, and Birmingham respectively. Yes, we have, we have. I was woken up at 4am banging wheelie bins all over the place. I was just like, oh God, what is going on here? Yeah, <laughs> it's been an interesting one. Well, it certainly has, and let's uh, let's see. We're kind of in the lull now, so we're on the Sunday evening, a nice, gentle uh, Sunday evening discussion. So we'll start off with um, we're going to be talking about your book, and we're going to be talking about bad school leadership and what to do about it. But um, from the introduction to the book, you, you talk a little bit about your 15 years teaching experience across uh, four schools. So just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm in my 14th year of teaching. Um, it's over, I've taught across four schools in Birmingham. I've done some supply a very long time ago as well. Um, all my schools have been inner city Birmingham and fully comp, so I've, I've got quite a wide experience. I was a union rep as well for five years, probably about six years ago. Okay, okay, so lots and lots of experience that have gone into this book. So if we kick off and get yeah. straight into the book, um, mm-hmm. and you said this book is about the, uh, the mismanagement of the system, so what do you mean by this? I mean, I'm referring to anything that kind of, that is not the external factors. Okay, like for example, the school system being very target-driven, that's an external factor, that's external pressure. The way school leaders deal with that, however, that's, that's the kind of management of the system. So the book discusses anything kind of internal like that, which, which the school leaders have a direct responsibility for. So like, for example, we, don't, we can't choose our target grades, they're given to us. 
um, but how we kind of get our staff and our kids, more importantly, to, to achieve those, that's controlled by the school leaders. So it's, it's more about what the school leaders do rather than the kind of the external factors that, infl- that pressure a school. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So in terms of mm. kicking off the book, um, and you go on to kick off the book by talking about relationship building and a nice little segue into 80s uh, pop legend Rick Astley. <laughs> Which, do, which obviously do, yeah. goes down well with this audience, let me tell you. Definitely, we've got some, uh, you know, some of the eighties vintage. So tell us important. Tell us how important you think that relationships, empathy, and communication are for leaders. I mean, for, in my experience, you you work harder for for leaders that you have a better relationship with, and um, you, you you know them better, and you and you're just you're willing to go out of your way a bit more for for a leader that you know, and and respect and like. Um, I believe the way those relationships are built are through empathy, communication. And uh, well, <laughs> and having a good sense of humour as well, um, like empathy, for example. I remember my my first deputy head when I was NQT. Like I received some really really bad news um, on a on a school day, and he he pulled me up, pulled me to the side and said, "Look, if you're not fit to teach, you can go home." You know, and I remember thinking, you know what, that was such a such a nice gesture. And some of the things I've heard from other school le- from other teachers about their school leaders. There's no empathy whatsoever. Um, Communication is also a big one. I mean, you hear a lot about teachers being publicly chastised, um, disrespected. Um, somebody on Twitter told me the other day, um, the, a senior leader said openly in the corridor, um, well, if teachers can't cut it here, they're free to leave. You know, and it's things like that. They really erode trust. I think sense of humor is good because it puts teachers in a good mood, you know, because th- th- there's a lot of factors working against us which can lower our morale. So I, 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 I like a senior leader that makes you laugh in briefing, for example, and that can really set you off on a positive for the day. No, absolutely. I, I was just thinking about uh, my head teacher at the moment, and he's certainly got that, and he's very, very positive in terms of uh, the kind of discussions that he has, and he thinks that briefing is a really important channel to kind of enthuse and engage and you know motivate the staff, so he really does use that. Um, in terms of you know empathy and communication particularly, you know, do you think that it is quite challenging, you know, for senior leaders to make sure that they always communicate, you know, every decision to everybody? And, and what are kind of the best channels to do that? Are you a fan of, you know, email, for example, or would you prefer face-to-face conversations or a little bit of a mixture of both? I think a mixture of both is fine. I mean, because if you teach at a really big school, it's like you can't get everybody together and all the time and, and kind of be as personable as you, as you might want to be. So a mixture of both. I think the important things, if they're said in person, um, then, then that's kind of more fitting for for a big school. Mm. No, definitely, definitely. Mm. Yeah. So um, we might come back to some of the themes on that one, but we'll just move into the, the chapter where you're talking about observations. Now I've kind of gone, <laughs> I've kind of gone full circle on this one, Omar. Let me tell you. So sure, I'll, sure. I'll give you my kind of picture on this, and obviously, you know, we'll listen to yours from the book. So. I was quite in favour of observations around, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I was doing um, an AST job. So I quite like people to come in and observe. I like to quite and go observe people. We almost we had a kind of checklist to um, hesitate to say perform against, but there certainly was certain things that was being included. And then as I became in charge of research school, looked a lot of the evidence-based movement and really moved away from certainly, you know, graded lesson observations and anything kind of punitive, you know, lesson observations for appraisal, for example. But just yeah. recently, I feel as if I've moved a little bit back towards, you know, observations being useful in terms of, you know, developing teachers. And as long as they're conducted in, you know, a, a spirit of 
openness and trust and it's a two-way process then you know they can be a good thing so in the book what i really like about your chapters is you have a what went well and an ebi at the kind of end of a chapter so talk to us about observations and, and what are the www's and the ebis here i mean i i'm in favor of of a buddy style observ- observation um, where you're you're trying to you're watching somebody with the aim of either them you learning from them and them learning from you and it's all developmental. I'm in favour of those and I think teachers should do that more. Um, I think we should get more time to to kind of just sit with another member of staff and say, well, what? How do you teach this? Oh, I'd like to come and see you sometime. You know. Um, I think in my book I discuss the kind of there is sometimes well more often than is necessary, I think, there's a need to be pernickety with observations. It's like there's a need to say something when I don't think anything needs to be said. Um, and I mentioned the, uh, the observation hashtag, and it's hilarious. I, I recommend everybody go on this on Twitter. So it's hashtag nobservation, N-O-B, so it begins with an N, then observation right after it. So I'm just going to actually, I'm going to read you one of these. I just, I just thought they were ridiculous. It was like, here, here we go, here's one. Um, I won't say the name just in case. It says, my hashtag observation told me my jumper was too similar to the school uniform and I need to stand out. And then it says, I'm a six foot tall man at a girls school. <laughs> okay, it's like, really? There's <laughs> um, another one. Hashtag observation, I got told my lesson would have been outstanding if I had removed the dead plant from the back of the classroom. And there's, and there's so many of these and they're all believable. They're all believable. I mean, I've, I've heard a few things in my time too, you know. Um, and I just think that, if that's taking place, then staff are going to have a negative view of them. I mean, it's not about, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying we don't conduct observations. I'm just saying, it's like, if nothing needs to be said, you know, why, why are you looking for trouble, you know? It's, I, 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 don't, I, I don't understand that. No, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I was just thinking that, have I got any plants at the back of my classroom? I was just thinking well, this then. Well, is it. I mean, I got told once, there was a, this was a very long time ago, there was a stain on the window and, and, and they, they mentioned that. I was like, I'm not too sure what you want me to do about this. Why are you telling me this? You know, it's like, come on, honestly. Um, <clears throat> so in terms of the good, the good parts of observations, you've mentioned a couple of things there. But if you're looking for, so let's say that you're you know, a school leader now that's involved in you know, lesson observations for whatever purpose, hopefully de- developmental, maybe around appraisal, but, but, but because you're looking to, you know, improve teachers pedagogy and practice what kind of uh, even better ifs could you offer for observations for a developmental observation yeah for a developmental observation oh i think if you both agree why you're there i think i think there has to be some meeting of the minds as to why you're there Mm. you know so okay so if i say okay i need to learn how to do xyz activity and i i want to see you do that you know i think if, if there's some kind of some kind of meeting of the minds as to why you're there and then you can then do this you can then reciprocate the same thing mm. i think they, they could be improved that way if they're focused okay like a lot of schools for example do um micro research where you're actually outright you're trialing something in the classroom and i think that's a good way of i mean it's kind of directed and I think that's a good way of developing stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've got a, got one of your what went well here. So do what you normally do. We're not trying to catch you out from the SLT. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, what went wrong? Yeah, www, what went wrong? Um, 
yeah, do what you normally do. We're not trying to catch you out. It's like if if you say that, and then you're talking about a dead plant in the room or the font of a PowerPoint, it's like, well, it's just it's hard to believe that when you're giving that as feedback. It's like to me, it looks like you are trying to catch catch me out. If that is the case. You know, and and I think it, the more that happens, the the more trust erodes, and and it just becomes a flawed, a flawed process. Definitely, one one mm. one that kind of rang true with me, and again, it's in it's in the book, is the uh, the after the observation, every teacher's most loved and hated question usually follows. How do you think it went? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's a case of okay, so how do I answer this? Do I have to act like I I know what went well? Or do I have to say, okay, or do I have to, or is there a need for me to appear to be hard on myself and say, oh, it went terrible, and then just list all the bad bits, you know? I'm not against that question, though. I'm not against that as a question. It's, it's good to be a reflective practitioner. No, definitely. Okay, so moving, moving to the next chapter, we've got learning walks and we've also got um, deception walks and what what I like, and I really like this really snappy, and urine tests. So, <laughs> you know, I'm sure, um, for those of you who haven't yet read the book, we don't think we're literally talking about urine tests, but um, no. how can we ensure visits to lessons are beneficial for everybody? Yeah, I, I, I use the urine test as an example because if your urine's behind and there's nothing wrong with you, they don't tell you. And some learning walks go like that, too. Like, no news is good news. But when it's bad news, then they'll tell you, you know? And I, I think, look, if you see good practice, you, you should say that. There should be some kind of even just a two-line email saying, oh, we really liked what we saw today, you know? Not, not wait for you to do something they don't like and then say, actually, you know what? You, you, can you come to my office at the end of the day? Um, and the other example, sorry, what did you mention? Oh, just, deception walks. Yeah, yeah deception, deception walks. walks. Yeah. Now, I talk about that because it's like, okay, so what, what is the length, uh, what's the time duration for a learning walk? It, I mean, to, to me, it's 10 minutes max. Um, and you hear about uh, some places, they're doing, they're, they're doing a learning walk, quote-unquote, and it's lasting 25 minutes, and they're giving written feedback, and it was unannounced. And it's like, hang on a second, that's not a learning walk. That's an observation. And then it, that brings us to, okay, uh, do what you normally do. We're not trying to catch you out. It's like, well, you said it was a learning walk, okay? And there's some schools that get, I mean, what they end up doing is they, they have a list of questions to ask the pupils. Um, and the, the questions, because there's so many, it will take so long for the, for the kids to answer them. So they end up being in the room for a long time, and they use the questions as an excuse. It's like, I mean, that's deception. That's not transparent. I think transparency will... Transparency is something that all staff want. And I think that's better for well-being and just generally the, for the productivity of a school. Yeah. Because lack of, tra- lack of transparency erodes trust. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that, that, that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Mm. And I'm just mm. thinking while you're talking there in terms of communication, because I'm just reflecting on kind of my own practice. So... One thing that I do try to do as a deputy, and it's quite a, quite a small school, it's not a, it's not a big school, but I try to get into every lesson at least once a day if I can. But purely, you know, for one, for the, the pupils to see me out and about in the school and, and see how we're getting on, and secondly, for staff to know that we're available, approachable, and in classrooms. There's certainly no written feedback that goes with that. There's certainly no judgment. I mean, you mentioned at the back, you know, if they send an email later saying that someone's doing a worksheet and, you know, who do you think I am, David Blaine or something, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's none of that. So how, how do you kind of balance the idea that SLT, it's good for SLT to be seen, 
by yeah. pupils and and the staff, but not too much. I mean, it's all about transparency. I mean, if if there is a learning walk being done, and if learning walks are the norm of that school, then that then that's fine. I think what the the problems only come is when they're kind of heavily punitive, kind of uh, how can I say this, and deceptive, punitive and deceptive. I think those two. If they're like that, then it's not going to work. I mean, SLT, uh, should I be saying this? Yeah, I'll say it. They come into my room all the time, and I've got no problem with it whatsoever. But I have known of teachers at other schools who uh, an SLT will arrive, and that basically what I just said in my book, that, that will happen, you know. Um, I think if they focus on the kids as well, that's a good thing. Because a, a lot of leaders will come in and say, okay, they'll, they'll speak to a couple of kids. Oh, what are you doing? How's it going? What are you learning? Uh, I've, I've got no issue with that. You know, mm. Mm. no, that, that's the kind of thing that you know. Certainly, I would try to do is just get in and, and again, just for the staff, you know, because part part of my responsibility on a purely, a purely personal note is to look at you know behaviour for learning. So I'm going in there to kind of reinforce to the staff that we're available, you know, in case there's any anything that we need to be looking at, as well as you know asking the people so they're getting on. So hopefully. The staff yeah, know I the mean, reason for that, but you're absolutely right. That you of course, I mean, I, I actually, yeah, just to backtrack, not backtrack, sorry, just to, just to mention that again, I, I mentioned that in the book, actually, that learning walks in, inherently are not bad things. Because hmm. staff, I mean, it's actually a good way to show staff that they're supported. Yeah. And that pretty much what you just said. Yeah. So inherently, they're not a bad thing. It's when they're conducted in a, in a punitive or deceptive fashion, then it's problematic. Hmm. That's what I was going to go on to say, that I absolutely agree with what you've said there, that sometimes we kind of assume uh, as senior leaders that people know the reasons or teachers know the reasons of this. And actually what you said at the beginning in, in the first chapter about that communication, it's really important to over communicate the reason that you're doing things so that everybody is comfortable with it. Yes, no, completely, 100%. 100% agree. Um, and if there's like a tick sheet or something, what, what they're expecting to see in the learning walk, then share that with, you, with staff. Because sometimes there'll be a tick sheet and staff won't even know there's a tick sheet. It's like, well, how did we? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Is, that, is that not deceptive? So you're looking for something, but you're not. You're not telling me what you're looking for. Primary yeah. <laughs> schools, and I'd imagine in primary schools it would be the SATs. Then, I don't think they should be checking Year Seven books at that time. But a lot of schools will. So if you're focusing, if you're focusing on something, basically you can't focus on everything. Why detract from your focus for the sake of procedure? I mean, if you want staff to kind of really put their energy into something, then don't distract them with something else. You're creating your own problem, you know? Yeah. I mean, around I, I, about year 11 time, I want to be around after school with kids say, you know, can you explain this to us, sir? Yeah. And I want to be able to drop everything and say, do you know what? Yes, I can. And, and that's what I should focus on. I should not be worrying about how much green, purple pen, etc., is in my book, in, in their books, rather, you know? And by the way, I'm not speaking in the present. This is, I'm, I'm just speaking like in general terms. That's, that's yeah. not what a teacher would want to do. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. No, it's interesting. There, one. there is this need to kind of stick to procedure yeah. at, a, at some places. 
Yeah. I wonder whether, and again, this is just sort of a, a follow-up question, you know, the sort of the proliferation of leadership teams that's happened over the last six, seven, eight years where you've got an awful lot of usually assistant head teachers, they possibly got, you know, reduced numbers of deputies and a head and maybe executive head. And a lot of assistant head teachers seem to have lots of different responsibilities. And there's a, there's a feeling and a need, and it's nobody's fault this, that to justify the position, they need to push the thing that they're in charge of around that 8 a.m. meeting, as you outlined there. And perhaps you've got somebody who is responsible for, you know, the marking policy in year seven. So they, yeah. they feel that they really have to make sure that that is done to kind of justify the existence of their position. And you feel as if that, that kind of drives whole school policy, that there's lots of people in the same boat, but they're not necessarily rowing in the same direction. Yeah. No, I, 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 I see what you mean. But then they need to work together, and because if, if there's going to be whole school priorities, then ultimately it's going to be you have to sideline some things for one thing. That's my understanding of it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we're going to move into the next chapter on behaviour. We're not going to dwell too long on behaviour because you know we, we kind of chatted off air, and, and behaviour is you know such a contentious issue that you know quite often you could fill an entire podcast just talking about behaviour and be no further be no further down the road. So just one little part from from your chapter on behaviour. So when when in doubt, blame the, the teacher for not engaging the learners. Do you, do you feel as if this is common? I think it's common enough to to be discussed. It was common enough for me to put it in my book. Um, there is this attitude whereby if your kids are not behaving, you are not doing something right. Um, now, I believe there is a link between planning and behavior in the classroom. There is a link. Um, like, for example, just, just a quick example. If you, take, uh, if you haven't got your worksheets ready, you're about to hand out worksheets. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with worksheets, as long as the whole lesson's not worksheets, you know but we can't demonize worksheets. If you're about to hand out worksheets and you, you have, you've put them at the side somewhere and you don't know where you put them and you've got a class which is going to chat, then you're kind of giving them that time to chat inadvertently because you weren't ready. Then you're going to cause low-level disruption, right? And we've all done it. Um, but, but to make it the link as, well, basically what I'm saying that bad school leaders do, I think that that's kind of destru- destructive. Um, I've heard of teachers have told me... Um, Okay, so one NQT told me she sent for um, she sent for an SLT when they came. They said, "Oh, what are you doing?" And she said, uh, "Well, she told them what they were doing." And the, and the, and the, the school leader looked at her and said, mm, "I'm not too sure I'd behave for that lesson." Like basically telling her outright that you, you are responsible for the behaviour in your class. And this is after when the class are completely out of control, and the, and the SLT is blaming them there and then. A teacher on Twitter told me this. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just... It, I mean, so I, I, I'm I kind of sharp and take a breath when people say things like that because you just think, really? I mean, really? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of clutching, isn't it? Mm. It's very much so. It's like, it's, like, it's almost... You're, you're, you're trying your hardest to blame the teacher. You know? <clears throat> Yeah, we used to have a phrase that people used to be knocking around and we used to use it kind of, not in a good way in research school uh, courses, which was, you know, is your lesson worth behaving for? And you think that's just such a bad phrase. You know, is, is that, your is lesson worth behaving for? actually what they said? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, see, I mean, this is kind of, so that is directly blaming the teacher. Mm. Yeah. And, and it, it links nicely to, I mean, I've said to you previously, and I've shared your book, so your previous book, which is uh, the Unofficial Teacher's Manual, What They Don't Teach You On Training, or Teach Training. Um, exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we use that a lot with NQTs and ITTs when I was responsible for them. And it is something that still comes through. Now, that's nobody, you're not blaming any particular training route for this, but there is still a feeling, you know, particularly amongst newer teachers, that it's almost your lessons need to be engaging, need to be, you know, really pacey, need to have lots of different activities in there just to make sure that, that the pupils behave. And that, that kind of line of is your lesson worth behaving for has come directly out of conversations I've had with trainees and, and new yeah. teachers. I've I've heard the same thing. I've I've should I say this? I've experienced the same thing. Mm. I've experienced the same thing as in, in my earlier days of teaching. So when I was in QT, I've experienced that. A lot of people have. Mm. But I mean, yeah. you know, out of every bad sort of comment, like there are some things in it, and you suggest a few of these things, which you know, I, I've just gone to a new a new school, and I'm teaching. Um, I've gone straight in, started at Christmas as a deputy head, teaching a year eleven class, and actually, I've gone back to a lot of the stuff that you're talking about here. So when you talk about planning for pace, you don't talk about planning for pace for for pace's sake and for engagement. You talk about you know making sure that there's end there's no dead time in lessons, smooth transition from activity to activity. I like the one about yeah. videos. I mean, it's basic stuff, isn't it? But yes, yes. it can make such a difference. And I found that as, as almost feeling like an NQT for the last sort of three or four weeks, that how do I get this smart board to work because it's different to the one previously and I haven't practised it. And then you can feel the lesson derailing slowly. So there's a difference between being organised and planning for pace and just doing activities for activities' sake. Yeah, very much so, very much so. Because, because then you end up, um, and somebody at Bruet was saying this yesterday, you, you, end up, you end up doing stuff as you said, for the sake of doing it, for the sake of engagement, but it has very little learning value, and you can't do that either. So there's always that fine line between, okay, do something that is engaging, but also do something that works, you know? Okay, so if we just move on to talk about meetings. So again, I mean, I like what you did with Rick Astley earlier on and urine tests, and now we have the Botox meeting. So tell us a little bit yeah. about what that is. Yeah, Botox meeting. So there will be a meeting calendar in, but you've got nothing to do in that meeting. So middle leaders or senior leaders would have decided, or whoever it is, I haven't officially got something to do in that meeting. So they'll invent something to do in that meeting, something unnecessary. You know, like, for example, I, I believe the example I've given in the book is you can moderate a test from five months ago. <laughs> you know, and, and I, Botox being basically a filler meeting, you're, you're just taking off the time. And the thing I've advised against is, well, just give staff their own time, you know, it just gives staff time to do, to do their own stuff if it's possible to do that. I mean, I, I really, rather, I really rather than like just that. filling the time, yeah. rather than just filling the time for the sake of filling the time. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you hear, but you, I've I've heard this um, throughout my career where, where people are saying, "Oh, there's a meeting tomorrow. I'm not sure what to do in it. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, don't do the meeting then, or <laughs> let staff do something else." It's, it's so true. I mean, a lot of schools, yeah. and you know, th th this this podcast has, is still sponsored by the Teacher Development Trust. The Teacher Development Trust do some great work in CPD. But I think some schools that have moved to sort of weekly two-hour slots on CPD, you know, I've been privy to conversations around, right, well, we've got whole school priorities, we've got middle leaders, we've got, yeah, oh, we've just got an hour spare there. What shall we do with that hour? And you can imagine, you know, exactly what you've said in the book there, that, that people are kind of hanging around departments just making sure that nobody comes to do, kind of do a spot check, that anybody's yeah. dared go home before the dreaded five o'clock deadline. Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. The definitely. Botox meeting, though, that's definitely Botox what I'm going to take meeting. forward, yeah. Just to kill that's <laughs> brilliant. meetings, Botox meetings, yeah, something like that. <laughs> that's brilliant. Definitely. Okay, right, on to, again, uh, a theme that we talked about and, and I've kind of name-checked your previous book. So 
you know, you're, you're really at the forefront of stuff with NQTs and new teachers. So how would we best yeah. support NQTs and how would we make sure that they end up like the, uh, the one that was cycling in and looking so happy teaching in the recruitment advert? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I think uh, as school leaders, um, the, the way school leaders can support NQTs is probably by, is by three things that I've mentioned. Um, the first being is to decrease the paperwork for them. So there's a, there's a lot of NQTs at a lot of schools. They're making a lot of kind of evidence folders, which are not too dissimilar from their PGC folders. Um, but the a local authority of those schools actually doesn't want all of that paperwork. But the schools are still doing it. Okay, so, mm. so then their time ends up getting spent on just collecting evidence, which they've, uh, much of which they've already proven as a PGC. And I think, well, why are you wasting their time like that? That would be the first thing. It, like, it should be the minimum. Whatever the minimum the LEA, the, the local authority wants, that should, that's what the NQT should do paperwork-wise. Mm. That's what I believe. And the other thing I was going to say was it's who their mentor is. Um, I speak to a lot of NQTs uh, on social media, and one common theme is my mentor don't get on with my mentor. Mentor's too heavily critical. They've got an axe to grind and is not very good at relationship building. Um, and, and I think that that's quite significant. If, if the mentor's a bad one early in the career, that kind of stays with the teacher yeah. from what I've seen. Um, I mean, when I'm mentoring entities, I always say, look, you have to prioritize what goes on in your classroom. That has to be number one. Even marking has to be second or third <laughs> or fifth. <laughs> but prioritizing the lesson has to be the main thing. And I think they really need to drill that getting their routines established, their relationships with their class. I don't want them making uh, making big portfolios of evidence and things. No, I mean, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And the, the, mm. the shift with the early careers framework, and we've been looking at Blackpool to be kind of at the forefront of the rollout for that, and it's highlighted the importance of the mentor's role because you're right that, you know, a lot of mentor relationships with, with trainees or NQTs do fall down. And quite often, again, it's back to the, th the thing that you started with. It's around communication, and it's an extra bolt-on, usually to responsibilities that the mentor's got, so they're either like a head of department or a second department, and they find it difficult to give the trainee or the NQT the time yeah, to do that. And actually, definitely. as a profession, yeah. we need to recognise that, that mentoring new teachers is probably one of the most important jobs. And I've it long is. argued for that being much more important than the assistant head teacher for data, but that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, that, um, because I, mean, I, I completely agree with you, but because I'm not familiar with time restrictions and things, because I'm not a school leader myself, I don't know how much time they can give a mentor, so I didn't comment on it. But I do know they can choose a mentor, and it's on them to choose the right person. And I'm not convinced they always do that. They pick the person, oh, okay, they've got a free then, let's pick them. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. Yeah, in terms of I, I time allocation... I don't, think no. I don't think it's a conscious thought-through decision much of the time. No, I, I don't think it is. And, <laughs> you know, if you, if you look at, you know, schools that have been successful with bringing trainees in have really kind of booked the national trend of, you know, falling, falling numbers of teachers in schools because they kind of get a culture where they grow their own teachers and then it's a knock-on effect that, that, you know, teacher training providers want to use them. So actually, you know, time spent with new teachers is really, really mm. beneficial. And towards the end of time at, at the last school I was at, you know, I was being line managed by people that I'd trained, you know, three, four, yeah. five, six years ago, which is great, isn't it? That's yeah. really, really good and that's what you want. 
Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. You want to look at your mentee later on and say, well, actually, you know what, I was responsible for some of this, and, I, and I'm happy with myself for that. I'm very pleased with my with my NQT and with myself, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay, mm. so moving on from the NQTs, and let's look at something that, that, that you feel is very important because it's been part of your role, and I certainly always, you know, encourage new teachers to be kind of involved with this side of, of school. So how important are unions, and why is it important that we should stand by our unions? Unions are very, very, very important. I mean, for the other, for the obvious reasons, like if you ever end up in a situation, you're going to need legal support. I hope that doesn't happen to anybody, but you know, you never know because we're working with kids, etc., etc. Um, but on the other side, there, there's a quite a big difference between schools which are unionized and schools which aren't. Um, in that, you'll see that the level of scrutiny at a unionized school, the level of scrutiny the level of observations, all this, the kind of stuff which we, we were talking about earlier is a lot less. It's a lot less. Um, if, there is a, if there is a strong union rep who is backed by members, and that's the important bit, the union rep has to be backed by its members, otherwise change does not happen. And there, there's a big difference in, in the, the whole, the staff morale, recruitment retention, the whole thing. It, it's a lot better at, at schools which are unionized. The staff are happier there. Because you, you need somebody to say, look, I was dropped in on learning walk, quote unquote, for 20 minutes with written feedback. You need somebody to say it because there are school leaders, not all of them. And that's, and that's something I want to make absolutely clear, actually, um, because obviously we, we've, we've talked about, you know, bad practice. But I've mentioned, as you know, because you read the book, I've mentioned a lot of examples of good practice here in, in the book. I've mentioned them throughout. Um, but there are some who will get away with whatever they can get away who will do whatever they can get away with so until somebody says something they will carry on and that is the outlet the union is the outlet to kind of make your voice heard yeah um but but also i mean at a unionized school it's not a case of okay right we're a union now everybody's together we'll, we'll get everything we want because obviously it's not that simple but you can choose your battles and yeah. you choose the one thing at that school one thing at your school w w which annoys you the most or which is the least has the least impact on the kids but takes you the most time and pick that and then argue about that no, like definitely. argue over like put press press for the press for a change on that i mean we don't want to be so unionized that any like the moment there's any change it's like no nah, no nah, we're not doing it we're not doing it Nah, i don't want to do that it shouldn't be that it shouldn't be like that either but at the same time there has to be that protection no, I mean, I think I think that what you said there is a very, very positive book. And actually, you know, I, I speak to a lot of school leaders who are putting books out there that are talking about, you know, what kind of things we should be doing. But it's 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 good to have a kind of checks and balances to see, you know, what kind of things are not great practice and what we can do about it. And, you know, to go into about unions specifically, I mean, I was very fortunate, again, at previous school to work um, in, in a teaching sense alongside the school's union rep and, you know, I won't name check her, but uh, she was really, really good at kind mm. of preempting any sort of issue that there might be. And I, I got to the point as a school leader of kind of running things past her before I would think about doing something. Because quite often, you yeah. know, you don't always see it from everybody's point of view. And she was she was excellent at kind of saying, well, you might want to look at that. Have you thought about this? You know, can we do it this way? And before yeah. we got into situations where there was any conflict. But if there was... You know, she was absolutely excellent, and and the school was fully supportive of all the teachers who wanted to be in unions and actually actively encouraged the the, the new staff and trainees to join up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, I've worked at a school like what you've described too, 
were where there was good communication between the union reps uh, and, and the SLT, and they would go to them and say, look, we, we want to trial this. What do you think the members would think of it? Mm. It doesn't have to be a relationship of conflict. It can be a working together relationship. You know, I know because uh, my previous answer, obviously, I may have suggested that, okay, union rep means that means you go and fight for stuff. It doesn't always mean that. I can mean that, but it, but it doesn't have to. There can be. <clears throat> Often it is a, it's a, it's a very practical, we're in this together, we'll work together on this type of relationship, and that's good. Because there has to be staff unity for everybody. Definitely. Okay, mm. so I'm just conscious of uh, time on a Sunday, on a windy Sunday evening. So it's yeah. a nice point to say that you'd you'd kind of moved away from talking about bad school leadership into, and you've highlighted many, many really positive examples. So how do we get the shift? And that's chapter towards the end. How do we make that shift happen from the bad school leadership into to what we kind of want to do about it? I mean, I've mentioned a few points in the chapter which you're talking about. Shift happens, I've called it, um, and I think. I'd say the main thing is a change in language, because um, often schools will say, oh, it is, uh, teachers will say, oh, it is what it is at the moment. It is what it is at the moment. We've just got to get on with it. It's like, hmm, really? Do we have to? You know? Um, what, if we, what if we change some of those phrases? What if we said, okay, when somebody says, okay, you haven't done X, Y, Z, or the kids, didn't, uh, kids have underperformed, why not saying things like, okay, I did the best I could with the time and resources I had available? What if, what if we all started saying that? What if we all started asking, okay, like when something comes down, because often this happens at school, there'll be some task and they'll say, oh, you know, it, it won't take very long, just can you get this done by Friday? But no one asks, how long will this take? No one will ask, we'll just kind of do it. And then they'll say, oh, it only takes a few minutes. It's like, well, it took me an hour. Then you'll always get that one smug teacher, well, it only took me five minutes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, so I think we should start asking about it. Make, value, put more kind of value on our time. Um, and, the, and the other point I mentioned is, and this is a tough one, I think, because if our kids do well, we want to, ex- we want to kind of take some credit for it. Like if we get good results, say, oh, do you know what, I did well with that, that year group. And the and senior leaders will say, middle leaders will say, do you know what, well done, well done, excellent. Then the following year, when they don't, then we say, oh, no, 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 that's because that, that's of external reasons. So it's either no credit or no blame, or it's both. Sorry, I think I said that wrong. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, though? You're, no, I absolutely you, you understand what you're saying. You can't take yeah. credit and then not take blame. Yeah, and that's so another thing I think thing what that... we should aim for is neither. Say, yeah. look, they did well. Some of that was because of me, or even a large chunk of it was because of me. Because, as we know, in, in a child's education, in a child's achievement... There are several factors working together. It's never just one. And we as teachers, are, we are treated as the only factor, and that's inherently wrong. No, you're absolutely right so on I think that. If we and... shifted towards that. Yeah. And, and again, with things like this, one teacher can't do it. It, it can't be done by just, just one teacher, because then you'll be seen as the odd one out. I mean, these are like little changes that everybody has to make. And I, and I make that clear in the book, so that I'm not talking to individuals at this point. I'm talking to everybody because it won't work. I mean, if you start asking, how long will this take, how long will this take, and it's just one teacher doing it, and you'll be walking around with a target on your head at some schools. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be seen as, uh, as the black sheep. I mean, it's interesting that you said there about, uh, you know, another quote that I'd written down, you know, I mentioned earlier on the, the, the thing about the cyclical nature of teaching and the marking policies, but the, the one that you've put on the bottom of this, and you just quote, you just mentioned it there, that a wise teacher once said, I'm not willing to take credit for good results because I'm not willing to take the blame for bad results. And I feel like having that 
kind of mounted yeah. up um you know in a staff room somewhere i think you know when 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 a pupil does well there's like there's many different factors that are there you know of their own efforts their family's effort the what have they done you know your teaching you like to think would help but also your teaching like my teaching totally. builds on everybody else's teaching throughout that pupil's life but it does exactly. seem to me that when the results don't go according to plan and then yeah. suddenly all of that falls away and it's just squarely on your shoulders and it's really interesting and really wise comment that yeah thank you thank you i mean because i i genuinely believe it i mean we either take credit and blame or we take neither i mean the, it would probably be better to take a little bit in each so proportionate be proportionate in what you're taking then at least you know yeah and then another thing on there you've mentioned about uh you know and i'm not cool enough or young enough to use this phrase but you've talked to at the end about becoming a badass yes becoming a badass and i said uh the badass is the slt's worst nightmare so a badass i've worked with a few badasses i do love them the best um so a badass would be somebody who is an excellent teacher who the kids love gets on with the kids and the slt love because they know that he or she is, is, is good at their game. Um, that person, if that person challenges the leadership team, then it's a problem. And they are the ones I think that should, because they're doing it from a, from a, from a strong position. Because if they're doing every, everything properly, not that other teachers aren't, I'm just saying, um, if they're doing everything correctly and they're succeeding and you know everything's going well for them, then they're speaking from a position of strength. That they should be listened to, is what I'm saying. If you've got a strong teacher, basically, that they should be listened to. And then, and they annoy the leadership teams the most because it's like, oh, God, he's good. We don't want to get rid of him, <laughs> you know? So. No, I'm just thinking. I could think of a couple of those. Yeah, I think every school's got a couple of those, which is great, but I never called them that before, so I'll be kind of walking around thinking that, yeah, there's our badass tomorrow morning. There's our badass, yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> You're thinking of them now. I'm thinking I absolutely of them now. Am, yeah. definitely, I absolutely yeah. <laughs> Okay, definitely. right, let's just finish off with, and we love um, myth-busting uh, on the podcast, so if you can just finish off with a couple of the myths that you, that you do at the end of the chapter and uh, just share a couple of those with listeners. Okay, so the, as in the teaching myths, as in things which are, which are being told but are not true. Yes. Okay, so like for example, and this is the one that I've got a bugbear about this, I hate this one the most, teaching from the front, um, basically telling you that teaching from the front is a bad thing, and that's no longer the case. That's not the case. They used to say it, and so, and, uh, they used to say it that they realized they were wrong, but some schools are still saying this. They'll get a learning walk, say, oh, well, that was too teacher-led. It's like, well, I'm the teacher. Who do you want to leave this exactly? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's my attitude. Um, and there's no proof that it doesn't work. Like, if your class is listening and they're engaged and you're questioning, there's nothing wrong with teaching from the front. If it's not working, then it's a problem. Um, so I mentioned that. I also mentioned, uh, okay, so this is everybody. So everybody talks about this one too. Differentiating, differentiating rather, for learning styles. Um, and and some, some teachers are still being told. I was, I was speaking to a couple of trainees, uh, one trainee rather, on... on Twitter the other week, and he was saying, yeah, they've told me um, that I need to differentiate for learning styles. That you need to do kinesthetic activities because the kids are kinesthetic learners. This has been rubbished a long time ago, very long time ago. Um, yeah, and deep marking, which we mentioned earlier, because research, to the best of my knowledge, is saying that verbal feedback is the best. But, but schools, even though, because I mentioned this, like three out of five schools are still doing deep marking. Um, and even the, the former education secretary, Damien Hines, said, in, just to paraphrase him, that this is a waste of time. 
yet schools are still doing it. Three out of five schools are still doing it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, and not only that, not only that, because I also make reference to the uh, the Ofsted Miss document in the book, if you remember. Yeah. Um, and they even say, Ofsted even say, we don't require a specific type or frequency of marking. Mm. Yet you get school leaders who are insisting, because their policy says we have to mark every two weeks. There needs to be some red pen every two weeks. It's like, and they really insist on it. It's like there needs to be some. Does there need to be really? Who who said that? <laughs> you know who who said this? Yeah. Uh, they've chosen to do that, and this is what I mean about the system. Uh, that that the book's not about the system. It's about the management of the system. The system would be whoever's telling us to mark. But how often we decide to mark? That's that's down to us. Mm. Yeah. And the, these messages cannot come out from too many people too many times because one of, one of the, the greatest things about being in a research school was that you were able to kind of, you know, see people's chores hit the floor as you kind of, you know, debunk some very popular myths, learning styles being one of them when you looked at EF toolkit and things like that. But even though we did a lot of work on that and there's still an awful lot of work going across, you know, the research schools network and the associate research schools and all of that sort of stuff, there's still in the profession yeah. you know there still exists you know not it's not even pockets is is huge swathes of teaching where this is going on i mean you know yeah. I, I, my, my son's in year six about to enter year seven and we visited quite a lot of, of uh, secondary schools some which you know are extremely high performing and as soon as i walked through the door i kind of hid the lanyard hid the blackpool research school lanyard tucked it away and just thought i could well i can see the board on there you know learning styles and how to plan for them is the first oh, one that you walk into and you just think we can't say this often enough and obviously your books you know absolutely doing that oh thank you thank you yeah i mean uh, that's kind of, I, I did set out to do that in some places i mean i personally i'm not an educational researcher um because you'll notice my books are not about educational research but i do i kind of i do have a look here and there to at, at what's kind of popular at the time i guess so i do keep a finger in it so to speak mm. um but i'm not a researcher myself that might be an area that i go into later on yeah yeah, so, yeah. Okay, Omar, I just want to say thank you so much for being involved uh, in the podcast tonight. Really, really appreciate your time. I just want to finish off with just, obviously, we've signposted your two books. If you can just tell us a little bit more about, you know, where we can get the books from, um, where you might be, uh, you know, your website and any links to that kind of thing. And, and we talked off air, and I can't believe this, listeners. So, you know, here's the chance. So, you know, there's a lot of people who go out doing a lot of speaking about their books, but uh, Omar's not necessarily been doing that through choice through choice but maybe uh, you know yeah, maybe we, yeah. after after this stunning podcast performance maybe we can get encourage him to come and do some more talking about these books because i think that would be most 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 welcome so tell us a little bit about where the books where we can find them and your website and your twitter etc okay so uh first book's called uh, the unofficial teacher's manual what they don't teach you in training second book's called bad school leadership and what to do about it they're both available on amazon um, first one, £6.75, next one, 6 99 Don't ask me why there's a 15p, 14p difference between those two. There just is. Um, they're, they're both available on Amazon. Um, my, I also blog the unofficial teachers manual.com. Um, so I, I kind of talk about other, give out other helpful tips to, to, to new teachers there. Great. Great. So yeah. we'll publish all the links to the website and to your blog and to where we can find the books as well. So once again, Omar, thank you very much for speaking to us tonight. And uh, maybe we'll see you at some events uh, fairly soon in the future. Definitely. Thank you very much, Phil. Thank you. 
Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. 